Good morning, saints. And I am going to speak to you today about a topic that I have struggled with and still struggle with, I'm being really honest, and that's loving the way in which Christ, in which Jesus wants me to love. It's very easy for me to love my husband. My children are amazing. It's so easy for me to just lavish my love on them. As a Christian, and I've been a Christian for decades, I still find it a bit tricky sometimes, even difficult, to love the way in which Jesus has encouraged us to love, to love those who offend me, to love those who treat me badly. But the good news is, I know that through Christ and with his help, I can do it. I am not depending on my strength. And my hope for all of us this morning is at the end of my 20 or 25 minutes, if you're like me and you've struggled with loving the way in which Christ really wants us to love, that we'll all feel encouraged and we'll all be convinced, yes, I can do this because Christ has empowered me to love. So my reading for today is 1 Corinthians 13.3. And I like to use different translations to get a, a good understanding of what you know, the scripture is really saying. Because different translations will focus on different aspects. So the NIV says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then... The King James Version, which I grew up with, says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, now that's a bit different, giving up my body to hardship, though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And then the New American Standard Bible, which many people claim to be closest to the original, I, I don't know because I'm not a Bible scholar, says, and if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. So the, the message that comes across here clearly is that we can do amazing spiritual things, amazing Christian feats, and have the wrong motives. We can do amazing things and not be doing them out of love. And I was wondering, why, why on earth? You know, think about it. Why would anyone give their body to be burned? Why would anyone give away everything if it's, it's not for love? Well, we get a bit of a clue, a clue in the NIV and the NASB versions. They said, they say that I may boast or that I may glory. There are people who do things to look good, to create a good impression, and to boast. We know what the scripture says about boasting. The apostle Paul, quoting Jeremiah, says, let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, in Christianity, really, there, there's no room for boasting. The apostle Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? You know, all the wonderful gifts, all the wonderful talents that we have, well, we were given them by God. So what are we boasting about? 
there's nothing to boast about. And furthermore, as Nick was, and, and, and um, John, they were exhorting us, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, joy. It's about the purposes of God being established and being furthered. It's not about how great I can prophesy. It's not about my wonderful academic qualifications. It's not about my miraculous healing gifts. It's not about that. It's about God. Yes, my feelings are important, but it's not about my feelings. There's a bigger picture. It's about God. It's about him. It's about Jesus being the center. There should be absolutely no room for boasting. Another reason I, I, I saw some commentary on this script here, and apparently it, it seems that there may have been some competition in the Corinthian church about who is more spiritual. So it's, it's interesting, because I've fallen into that, that trap before. When you think about what, what does it mean to be spiritual? You know, some of the things that come to mind would be things like, oh, to be spiritual means having the gift of prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, going to some you know, poverty-stricken country and serving. Now, that's really spiritual. What about, I don't know, doing something, giving away everything I have? But it's interesting that Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, he actually says, yes, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. He doesn't tell us to not pay attention to them. We need the spiritual gifts in the body. We need gifts of healing. We need gifts of prophecy. We need them. But Paul then goes on to say, but I will show you a more excellent way. The spiritual gifts are wonderful, but they are not the most excellent way. And may I add, and this is very sobering, the spiritual gifts are not an indication that all is well, and they're not a ticket to heaven. It's interesting that Jesus says in Matthew 7, in that day, many would say, but God, hold on, did, did, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do many miracles? But Jesus would have to say very sadly, I, I never knew you, sorry. The people, the sheep who get in to heaven, the people who Jesus welcome, you know what he says? He says, they're the ones who, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you visited me. And then later on, it's very interesting again, or, or rather before, even in the Old Testament, we see what pleases God. In Isaiah 58, there are people complaining, saying, but God, we're fasting and praying. That's another spiritual thing to do, and we should do it. But these, they were, they were saying, God, we're fasting and praying. You're not listening to us. And God said to, to them, but yeah, you're fasting and praying, but you're still oppressing the poor. You're still pointing the finger. And God says, this is a type of fasting I have prepared and the type of fasting I want you to do. It's to loose the bonds of oppression. It's to do good to others. And we all know that famous scripture in Micah. It says, what does the Lord require of us? What does he require of us? To show mercy, to love justice, and to walk humbly with our God. You know, most of, God is not asking most of us to go to Siberia, to sell everything that we have, or to be a martyr. 
Martyrdom is still very common in the Christian world, I know. I was looking at some t- statistics. Interesting, interestingly enough, according to some statistics, about 1.6 million Christians were martyred in the first decade of the 21st century. So martyrdom is still around. There are people still being martyred in other countries. In the second decade, I think the estimate was about 800,000. And now they're saying it's, 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 it's less. But it's good for us to be aware that martyrdom is still very prevalent. It's not something of the distant past. Our brothers and sisters in other countries are being persecuted terribly, and many are losing their lives. But for many of us, we haven't been called to be martyrs. We haven't been called to do anything super amazing. God is just calling us in the day-to-day of our lives to show mercy, to love justice, to walk humbly with our God. And what I want to spend the rest of my talk um, on is to just emphasize some of the ways in which we can be self-sacrificing in our day-to-day lives, in real lives. How can we be self-sacrificing? Because we are called to sacrifice ourselves. I want to start with the family. You know, scripture exhorts us. I think quite a few people think, well, one, one way in which I can be spiritual is by giving all my time to the church. You know, if I'm always in church, if I'm at every prayer meeting, if I'm at every, you know, whatever, then I'm spiritual. But charity starts at home. How could you be at every prayer meeting or at every service and your wife is languishing? The word says, husband, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. This is day to day. These are people we're seeing day after day. As parents, we're supposed to pour into our children and love them. How can I, you know, be ministering to other people's children? And my children are depressed. And my children are spending hours on the internet. Because I don't have time to dedicate to them. Because I'm spending hours doing spiritual things. No, spirituality is something that is very, very, it's reasonable, it's rational as well. I need to love my husband. I need to love my children. I need to honor my parents. The word of God says, honor your parents. This matters to God, how we treat each other. Sometimes as Christians, we can be very, very hard on our parents. They're not, they're not perfect. We're not perfect as parents either. We need to honor our parents. It's interesting that, you know, I talked about spirituality, you know, thinking that spirituality is going to a faraway country and, and, and doing something amazing. When I was a lot younger, I, was, I really wanted to serve the Lord, and I was, it was genuine. And I said to mommy one day, mom, I'm going to Colombia, and I don't know if I'm ever coming back. And this was, these were the days of Pablo Escobar. And in retrospect, I realized that, yes, it was good that I had this desire to go to Colombia, and I did, but just the way in which I dealt with my mom, she's, she's your mother, Natalie, come on. How could you just say to your mother, you know, I'm going to Colombia, and I don't know if I'm ever coming back. That was not the best way for me to relay that information to my mom. And I've had to go back to my mom, and I've had to repent 
for ways in which I've treated my mom and dad. Yes, I was doing something for the Lord, but it matters to God how I relate to my parents. It matters to him. As we do things for the Lord, let's always remember it matters to him how we relate to people. Interestingly enough, it says in First Peter that the prayers of a husband can be hindered because of the way in which he treats his wife. So you can be praying and wondering, oh, nothing's happening. The way in which you treat your wife, it matters. And then in Matthew, Christ actually exhorts us, if you come to bring an offering and you know that your brother has ought against you, go to your brother and be reconciled to him first. So we can't afford to think that because we're so zealous for God and we want to do amazing things for God, he'll be happy. As, but, uh, you know, and we can treat people in any old way. That, that's not true. That's not scriptural. We have to treat people well, all people. It matters to God. It matters to God how, has, how spouses treat each other how we treat our children, and how we treat our parents, starting with the family unit. I also used to think, (laughs) when I was younger, well, I would leave my secular job and go serve the Lord. And And I did that once. And, you know, after spending one month in Colombia, I realized, well, this really isn't for me. It was really, it was quite interesting And I always used to think the real action is in church. It's in the big spiritual conferences. You know, that's where the real spiritual things are happening. And the Lord had to show me again. You know, when I decided to go back out to work after staying home with with the children for a few years, the Lord had to just show me and remind me, Natalie, your job matters. These people, as a teacher, the children you serve They matter. You can further my kingdom by the way in which you relate to them. It matters. What you're doing at work is not, you know, of secondary importance. It's important. So when we go out into the workplace, we need to realize, even if we're working in a non-church setting, it matters. And I remember I had, I had an experience once that really brought that home to me of how God can use us even in the workplace. I had some students, and you know, some of my students aren't the easiest. I mean, they're boys, and I teach languages. Many boys tend to think, you know, maths and sciences, those are the really important lang- you know, subjects. And, well, why should I learn Spanish? One buddy said to me, Miss, why should I learn Spanish? I'm not going to marry a Spanish woman. So it's sometimes been a bit, you know... A, difficult, in, in some cases, not in all, to really motivate the boys. But we had a situation once in school where someone was excluded, and we, our school is quite small where I teach. And I just had this burden for the student. I knew that he was, you know, it was right of the school authorities to exclude him because of what he did. But because our school was so small, it's so small, I kept thinking, he can be experiencing so much shame knowing that he's the only boy in all of year 11 to be excluded. And we spent, I spent some time sharing this with people in the Friday group. And we really prayed about for this boy that he would not be ashamed, that he will not feel humiliated, that the exclusion would not sort of make him feel that he's the worst person on earth and somehow there would be a way for him to, to just... To, to, to learn his lesson and to come back in honor. 
And the Lord did something really amazing. The first day when he came back, I happened to, to have a, an 8 o'clock class. It was a sort of a support class for my GCSE students. And he came into the, the classroom, and this other student, because I, I kept thinking the other students might, they just, they just might want to reject him because what he did. And I saw the most beautiful scene of probably my entire teaching career. This student got up. As soon as he saw the boy, he went to him and he said, welcome back. And he hugged him. It was so beautiful. And he said, you are going to do well in Spanish. Now come on and let's get to work. And I saw this. And I was, I was almost in tears. It was so beautiful. And the Lord has shown me that even in these so-called secular settings, he is at work. So when I go to work on a Monday morning, I don't have to think, well, you know, I'm not doing anything spiritual. I'm sort of, you know, this is second, of secondary importance. No, wherever God has you, wherever he has you, whether it's in the home or in the workplace, you can look forward to God working and doing amazing things. It's, it's happening everywhere. Once you are a child of God, and you're walking with God, you can expect to see God at work. Oh, time's going by. Sorry about that. And then one thing I, what I really wanted to say as well, very quickly, you know, brothers and sisters, obviously we have, we see each other, we're a body. And I, Nick, you preach a big chunk of my sermon. You know, God really wants us to love each other as a body. And I think very often we do love each other, but we have gotten to some very, some of us, some very, poor habits without even realizing what we're doing. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And one thing that I really felt I should highlight this morning is one little habit that many of us as Christians fall into, it's a, it, and it does a lot of damage, and that's the use of the tongue. This is, this is something I really feel God wants me to highlight. When I was about 18, I was attending a Pentecostal church, and someone, there was a, a young man in the church, and I could tell that the Lord had really, he, the Lord had touched him. But in my 18-year-old cool mind, sophisticated, well, what I thought was sophisticated mind, it was like, oh my goodness, look at how he's behaving. I, you know, I, I don't like how he's behaving. Yes, he was doing one of those Pentecostal things, but he really was having an encounter with God. I didn't mean to be malicious, but I saw someone later on in the day, and I said, oh, you know, so-and-so was acting really strangely in church. And I didn't know that she was going to see him soon after. And she mentioned to him, oh, someone said to me that you were acting a bit funny in church. And this man came to visit my mom, because my mom was a sort of a mother figure to him later on that day. And I saw that young man cry as he told my mom you know, I was having such an encounter, an encounter with the Lord this morning, and I can't believe that someone, actually, and that someone was me, obviously, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing all of this, and I can't believe that someone would actually say that I was acting funny or pretending or whatever. And I remember, this was like one of like my first big God, what I would call big God moments in my Christian growth. I remembered feeling really, really awful because the man was crying. I slinked into my bedroom and I just opened my Bible. And my Bible fell 
open on, on um, James 3. And it's interesting what James 3 says. It talks about, it, it was so interesting because James 3 talks about the tongue. And listen to what it says. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I saw how even my, I don't mean to be malicious, but even my careless words in the body, the effect that my careless words could have on another person. And I've been a Christian for many, many years. And if there's one thing, guys, that corrupts the body, and I mean not just a physical body, but us as a body, and goes against what God says about loving each other, it's our tongue. Please, please let us use our tongues to bless and not to curse. And to curse doesn't just mean, you know, dabbling in witchcraft. To curse simply means to speak evil of. If we have nothing good to say, let's just keep quiet and let's love each other so much. You know, love covers. You know that story about Noah in the Old Testament? Of course it was wrong for Noah to get drunk, but the two sons who loved, they covered their dad. They didn't expose him. Why should I be telling you about the faults of somebody else? You know, love covers. I mean, obviously there are times when I have felt in the past when I needed to go to the elders, to the elders, because there were at least two, two, um, two times in the past when I thought, this is really, really serious. I need the elders to know. But to go spreading things. Also, if someone's done us wrong, Jesus says, go to your, go to your brother. And he says, he says this, when we don't go to a brother, sometimes what can happen? There, a root of bitterness can come up. And Paul says, ensure that that root of bitterness doesn't spread to others. So if, if Neil does something to me, I should go to Neil. I shouldn't go to this one and that one and that one and that one, spreading poison. And more than anything, as Nick was saying, why does God want us to love? Why does God want us to be careful with our tongues and to love? It's not about us. It's about the body. God cares about us. God cares about how we feel. But part of being a mature Christian is realizing, you know what? It's not about Natalie Bowers. It's not about how I feel alone. There's a bigger picture here. It's about the body of Christ. One of us can put a thousand to fly. Two would put two, ten thousand. God wants us to love each other so we can be one. You know, John talked about um, John 17. Later on in John 17, I have it here, where Jesus says, Lord, I want them to be one. God wants us to be one. And we cannot be one if we keep thinking about, well, my feelings and how I feel and my hurt. Yes, we need to deal with those things, but God wants us to be one. God's body is amazing. Guys, together, together, we can do amazing things. Together, 
we are the, the hand, the, 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 the craftsmanship of God. We are his body. We are his bride. And he's calling us to oneness. Let's love each other. To end quickly, I would say this. We can't do it in our own strength. I cannot love the way Jesus wants me to love in my own strength. I can only love when I stay close to Jesus. Love God first and then others. If I don't love God first, I can't love you. It's up to me to ensure that I'm spending time with God, that I'm receiving from him, that I'm allowing him to change me from glory to glory, what's on the inside. We can't do it in the flesh. We will fail. We have to depend on God. Emmanuel, God with us. As I tried, as I, as I, as I tried to be a wife to Bernard, a mother to my children, I'm not doing it alone. Emmanuel, God is with me. As I, you know, try to walk in unity with my brothers and sisters, I can't do it alone. I can't. I can't. We're too imperfect. But Emmanuel, God with us, he will help us. And I believe in our church. I believe in Croydon Jubilee. We will be one and we will grow from strength to strength. Amen.